And I just couldn't get past that when I was thinking about the life of Thomas. Thomas, you know, that scripture, and I'm going to go back to that again. When Thomas received the revelation that he received of the Lord Jesus Christ here in John chapter 20, verse 25. Look at what he says. Thomas asked the question. They made the report. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about it. They made the report that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. But then he said, so he said to them, unless I see, I see in his hands the prints of the nails. And not only see, but then I need to experience. I want to put my finger into that print of the nails. I don't want to just see it. I want to put my into the prints that's upon his hands. And then I want to not only uh, put my finger in the prince's hands, I want to also touch the place in his side. And once I see and touch both places, then I will believe. But if I don't see it, and if I don't touch those areas on Jesus Christ, I will not believe. So then the Lord, after eight days had passed, his disciples were again gathered together, and Thomas was with them, and Jesus came. And he came the same way he came the first time, through the door. Remember that? He walked through the door because the door was shut. And he stood in their midst, and Jesus Christ, first of all, spoke peace to them, peace to you. Then he said, he said, Thomas, I want to show you something. He said, you made, the, you made the statement to the witnesses, to the disciples, but I'm speaking directly to you. He says, I want you to reach your finger here and look at my hands. Not only look at it, you also said you want to touch it. Now, reach your hand here and put, put it here in my hand and in my side. And then he said, do not stop believing. Do not be an unbeliever, but believe. Now, 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 this is what I'm titling this message with that part or his response to that encounter, that experience. And that's it. You see it, how he responded to all of this. He says, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. I'm entitling this message just that, my Lord and my God, this was his exclamation because I would think that, I believe that the encounter, the experience, the revelation that he received of Christ as a result of putting his hand, seeing first, and then putting his hand in his hand, his hand in his side, brought him to a place of making an exclamation, a statement that was an exclamation, but it was also a proclamation because he proclaimed him as being his Lord. He is my Lord and my God. But Jesus looked at it and said, Thomas, because you have seen, and, and we talk about seeing through the evidence presented, the marks of my suffering and my pain, because you understand those marks within his hands and those marks within his sides were really the marks of his sufferings and of his pain. He said, now that you've seen where they hurt me, now that you've seen where they 
the pain that they inflicted upon me, he said, it brought you to the place of believing. He said, but I would say to you, blessed are those who have not seen where the pain was inflicted. You have not seen where the marks were made upon my bodies, but yet they have believed. His belief was a comparison between what he was saying, this is what he made the statement, my Lord and my God. He was really making a comparison between what he had known of the Lord and what was being revealed of him. Now that revelation came as a result of the Lord allowing him to participate. He said, but understand what is happening. He said, but now I want you to know it's still me. It's still me. I'm the same one, the one that you knew before I was crucified. And now that I've been crucified and raised from the dead, I'm the same person that was crucified. And now I'm the one that's standing before you now. It's still me. It's still me. Thomas identified, and, and understand, we look at Thomas now. The name, how do we know Thomas? What do you think of Thomas? You hear the name Thomas, what do you first think about? You think about doubting Thomas, don't you? You, you, you begin to think about the fact that he's doubting Thomas. And I hope nobody here uh, is offended by that because, you know, the, when you think about Thomas, they said, well, doubting Thomas. He's identified, but that was only the moment of doubt. That wasn't his whole life. Look at what happened. It was a moment within his life when he doubted. But that became his identity. They called him Doubting Thomas. But, but, but here, a, a, as we look in the Scriptures, we're going to take, a, a, take a scriptural tracking of his journey, let's say, from doubt to trust. And that's what we talk about when he made the proclamation or exclamation. We're taking a journey from that position of doubt as he began to journey towards that place of trust. And, and you have to understand, he was a disciple of the Lord. So in other words, he had been well instructed. He had been well taught. He was a follower of Christ. But yet he was to become a witness. But he had to take this journey in order to get there. So, 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 look at Thomas again as we begin to, to, to track his journey. Uh, it, it was the revelation that comes when evidence is presented to validate the person of Jesus Christ. It took evidence in order to validate that this is, in fact, Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you would be in the same state of thinking and reasoning where you would say that, Lord, if you don't provide me with some evidence that you are who you say that you are, then I would question you as really being the Christ. So, but we understand what he is doing here as we begin to look at it. Revelation, uh, he says, but blessed are those who when the Word of God or the revelation of Christ stands on its own merit, it, it is the Word itself, the Word alone becomes sufficient enough for one to stand, standing on the Word, standing on the Word, not just standing 
on the evidence, not just standing on the fact that the Lord has given me a testimony. The Lord has done this thing, that thing, and the other. What if those things had not happened the way they happened, would you still believe? So, bless it. Now, I, don't want you, I want you to understand, God had to do something in one's life in order for one to stand without evidence, for one to stand without evidence. And, and, and here's what God does. That's where we begin to see those that were blind and healing of the blind individuals. It wasn't just the miracle of blindness that was being dealt with, but what he was really saying, he says, I want you to understand something of spiritual blindness. I want you to understand something of spiritual blindness, but I'm going to give you evidence through healing one that is physically blind so that you would have a reference point to understand or comprehend what it's like to be delivered from blindness. Now, the scripture to support that, as we go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17, this is what he says. He says, this is what Paul said. He said, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you, listen to this now, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, you see, he said, now he talks about seeing. How are you going to see? By way of the Spirit. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, he, and he says, who is he? He is the Father of glory. You got to understand what glory is. It, he is the Father of making sure that everything that he is, he stands for, he represents, and he has spoken will come to pass, regardless of what pressure may come to bear against him. He said he is the father of glory. He will bring to pass, this is glory, he is glorified as he brings to pass every promise he's ever made. Are you still with me here? So now he says he is the father of glory. He says, but that he will grant you not just sight, but the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of wisdom. I hope you can see this. I want to give you the spirit of wisdom, and, and the spirit of wisdom is the Holy Spirit opening your eyes so that you can see spiritually. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So now you're saying, without the miracle, without the physical manifestation, the Holy Spirit giving you, the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation into the knowledge of Christ. So, in other words, giving you spiritual insight. He says that the Holy Spirit will give you spiritual insight. He says, now I am seeing into the matter even before I see the manifestation of it. He says, so he gives you spiritual insight. He said, an understanding. He said that the eyes of your understanding. Now, wait a minute now. He's talking about your head now. He's talking about your mind. He said that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, the eyes of your mind. So now he's saying you're seeing with your mind, not just seeing with your eyes. Your thinking is of such that you know, people say, I see it now. I see it. You, you, you begin to explain something to him. He said, do you see what I'm talking about? I would ask you, do you really see what I'm saying to you right now? Do you really see it? Now, now the ones that are seeing it are the ones whose eyes of their understanding is being enlightened because now it is taking root within their lives. It's taking root within their hearts. He says, he says being enlightened, he says, so now there's, there's a recept, 
there's a receptacle. You can receive the Word of God. You can receive the message that is being presented to you. He says, but the objective of it all is that you may know the hope of His calling in relation to you. God says, I've, okay, I'm not just giving you information for the sake of making you top heavy, but I'm developing you into becoming what I desire for you to become. I'm developing you. He says, so now what is happening? You see, if you don't see the end game, if you don't see the end result of what God is, in fact, in the process of doing, you'll miss the whole point. God is not just trying to get you so you can begin to rec uh, recite scriptures <clears throat> and that you're at a place where you, you, you're, you're, you're at a place where you can, you can argue with the best of them. The Lord is saying, I'm doing much more than that. I'm doing much more than that. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the word as a mirror so that you can see you differently. You can see yourself differently because, in other words, you don't know who you are. Allow me the opportunity to introduce you to your new self. If any man be in Christ... He is what? A new creature. What happens? All things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But you don't know that person yet. You don't know because, understand, seeing. Seeing is believing. That's the reference point that you have always related to throughout your whole life. But the Lord is saying now believing is seeing. He reverses the order. He says, now it's believing in order to see. Not the way that you used to operate. Not the way you used to function. Faith operates differently. Now it's believing that you may see. But watch what happens. As you are seeing, you're in the process of becoming. Oh, I wish you could. Do you see this? He says, you're in the process of becoming. He says that you will know the hope of your calling. What am I in, what am I up to in relation to you? <clears throat> You've been wasting your life, living your life based upon what you see or what you perceive to be your reality. This is my truth. The Lord says, what I see, I don't see you as being lesser than I see you as being greater than the level that you settled for. Do you understand what God, he's God now. He says, I see you as being bigger than that. You, you, you too, he said, what I've made, what I have called you into becoming is greater than the stuff that you're wasting your life with. You're wasting your life away with the things that you see the things that you perceive and the things that you think you understand. He says, but you're better than that. What I'm making you, what I, the hope of your calling, what I've called you to because I've called you to eternity. I've called you to live forever and understand you're being prepared for your eternal uh, 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 reigning and ruling with me to be with me in eternity. He says, but I got to make you. I got to, I got to fashion you. I got to form you. And I can't do it if you keep looking away from me. So this lesson that he taught us, even through the life of, of, of Thomas, 
was to get us to a place where we would desire to have spiritual insight. He says, I have your understanding to be enlightened, that you know the hope of your calling, of his calling within your life. But not only that, he says that you may know also the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, that you're part of the family of God. The inheritance, and, uh, and, and we, are co we, we are co inheritors. We receive inheritance. What Christ receives, we also receive the same thing. Now, look at what he says. Just, I want you to see how Thomas responded. He says, My Lord, that word Lord, kurios in, in the Greek, my Lord, my Lord. When he says, My Lord, he is really saying, You are my sovereign one. You are the sovereign one. You are the sovereign ruler. And he says, my Lord, my Lord, you, in other words, he was at a place where he recognized his authority. You are my Lord. You are my Lord. And then he, you see, everything he said, he began to bring it back to himself because we talk about how it affects us. You are my Lord. You are my authority. You are my authority. So now it's no longer me leaning to my understanding, you are my Lord. But you are my Lord. But then he says, but you are my God. You are my God. Theos has to do with the uncreated one. The, 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 you are the creator. You are the almighty God. You, you are the holy one. So understand. So now we have a measure. We measure all things by holiness. We measure all things. We understand that the origin is, it, it is before creation. You are before created. You are the uncreated one. So you are my Lord, and you are my God. That's a whole lot. He says, you are, and, and, and this is the attachment. Oh, you got to see. The attachment that he has to the Lord and God to himself. You are mine. When, when, when God lords over us, everything is placed on the table. And I would say all bets are off now. All bets are off. When he is lording, then everything, you lay it all out there. And, and all bets, it's not, it's our opinions are neutralized by a truth that supersedes every thought and idea that may have ever come to our minds. You say, if he's Lord, whatever I thought, and this is I think, no, he's Lord. You say, this is how I feel. It had nothing to do with it. He is Lord. Oh, I, I believe. No, he's Lord. You see what happens? So all bets are off. All of that stuff is, is, you see, is neutralized when you call him Lord. It's what he believes and what he thinks and what he says and what he knows. If he is God, he knows. He knows. And if he is Lord, he does what he wills. And if he does what he wills and he knows all things, then we must yield all that we have to him. That's this whole thing of surrender. We surrender ourselves completely to him. Even before we come to that place of understanding. When I say Jesus is Lord, it is not because I understand all there is to understand in relation to his lordship. But I say that you are Lord even before I comprehend 
who you are completely. I always give the analogy in marriage when you say I do. What did you say I do too? <laughs> you said, I, 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 do you promise to be faithful? Do you promise to love her? Do you promise to cherish her with your whole heart? Do you promise to be faithful wife? Do you, you stand up here and say, I do. I do. And he said, I didn't know that, 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 that all this was going to pop up. No, but you said I do. Why would I say, no, here, here's what some folks say. No, let me test it out first. Let me check. But let me tell you something. You still, there's some surprises that's going to come your way. Even if you shock up, that's a surprise. You still didn't get the whole story. In fact, I'll be honest with you, 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 you got a fake story. You got, a, you got an artificial story and never really got a chance to know what the real story was all about. But when you said, I do, I do too what I'm yet to discover. And that's the same thing applies with the Lord. Now, you have to understand the whole thing of lordship. Some people think because they say Lord, that's it. You know, uh, Psalm, I mean, uh, Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Not everyone, and I love the way that he puts it. He says, not everyone that saith unto me, he didn't just say Lord, when he says Lord, Lord. When he repeats himself, he's talking about a level of intimacy beyond the surface. He said, verily, verily, pay very close attention to this. Truly, truly, I say unto you. He is really saying that I want you to give your utmost attention to the statement that's really being made. So this person says, he is not just Lord to me, but man, I know him. I know the Lord. I know him. I've been in the way for a long time. Uh, in the way. I've been in the way for a long time. I, I know the Lord. I know him. And that's true. Shoot, you're probably in the way of knowing him, in the way from knowing him. But, but, but you're saying, you see, you're in the way from knowing him. Lord want to reveal himself, but you stand in the way. So he says, but not everyone that said, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. He warns us. Now, what is he saying here? He is warning us not to take his name in vain. See, we thought, it was, we thought it was just the syllables and, and, and the letters and that kind of thing. But to take the Lord's name in vain is to say, Lord, Lord, and don't mean it. And no life to back it up. That's when you take his name in vain. Because now it, it, it is it's in vanity that you call upon his name. It's in vanity. Your testimony is in vain. These are empty words that you're speaking, and there's no life to back it up. He says, but when... We use the name Lord. When we say Lord, you're saying a whole lot. You're saying a whole lot. Now, now, now what happens, then he takes us, when we call upon him and make, when he's Lord of our lives, then he takes us upon this journey as it was with Thomas. And we begin to discover, or we, he reveals to us aspects of his lordship. Here's Peter. We mentioned this the other week about First Peter Chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have grievous, you've been grieved by various trials. He says that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found 
to the praise and honor and glory. But when? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, now at the uncovering of Christ, when we begin, you see, we talked about the unfolding of the mysteries of Christ. We talk about the, the I would say, the progressive revelation that we have of Christ. You see, what happens, we mentioned, because even when Thomas said, my Lord and my God, he still didn't have the full uh, revelation of who Christ was, who the Lord was. But understand, revelation is progressive. He starts us on the journey, and he continues to reveal more and more and more of himself as we take the journey along with him. You see, see, so in other words, your experience was just a step towards seeing Christ in a way that you had never seen him before. That's his whole objective. He says, I'm going to show you aspects of who I am. But understand, don't jump ship. Don't jump off the altar, sacrifice. But stay on the altar. Stay true to your conviction. Don't lean to your understanding, but allow me to reveal that, you see, because there's more to that, there's more to that experience than you at any, any point in your life can fully understand or realize. A decision that God has made, don't to do a particular thing or to do a particular thing, that's more attached to that than you see. But if you go slipshod past that, you're not really allowing him to be Lord, but you're taking matters into your own hands, and you're missing out on seeing Christ in a way that you would otherwise see him. And understand, I understand what it says. It, it, we look at the final revelation of Christ. We know there's a time when we will see him as he is. You see, there's times when the Lord will, we will see the full manifestation of his glory. You see, they got a glimpse of it on the Mount of Transfiguration, but the time is going to come. We're going to see the Lord in all of his glory. But, but, but in the meantime, God will give you a glimpse of it. He'll give you a glimpse of it. He'll give you a, a, a sample, a foretaste of the glory that awaits us. And when you get that, you see, through our experiences now, through the experience, he says, I'm, you see the challenge, but I'm going to show you the glory. Contain, you heard the other week, I said, contained within your challenge is really the, the thing that's going to cause development to take place within your life. So, so now, look at what he's doing. He said, revelation of Christ. He said, whom you've not seen, but yet you love. That's what he said, blessed are those who have not seen. You've not seen, but yet you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with inexpressible, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So God is saying, he said, I'm bringing you to a place where your spirit, soul, and body will be preserved. Not just, you see, you talk about the eyes, your understanding, your mind. He said, but understand, I'm going to show you, I saved you spiritually, but now your mind's getting saved. And eventually your body, your physical healing is coming. I'm going to give you a new body, but in the meantime, I'll give you a foretaste of it. That's what healing is all about. I'll give you a sample of what awaits you in the future. So, so the Lord is doing all of this. He, he said the salvation of your souls. And then Peter 1, and if you go further down in verse 13, he says, therefore, since I made this to you, therefore gird up the loins of your minds 
Look at this. The loins of your mind. Now he's talking about, you know, the loins will be another part of the body, but the loins of your mind, he said, being sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, understand what he's saying here. He is saying there is a dimension of grace, grace, where God will begin to dispense his grace towards you so that now you have the wherewithal to function in things that you were powerless to do so in the past. He graces us. You see, he gives more grace. You see, as we humble ourselves before him, he gives grace. So God says, now you're graced to participate. You're graced to function. You're graced to operate in areas that you weren't graced to do before. It's a dangerous thing to walk out there and don't be trying to do something and you don't have the grace to do it. You're not graced to do it. And then you begin to project an image that's false. You're not really being yourself. You're not graced to do a particular thing. So, so he says, so now he will grace you. He said, so now, as obedient children, uh, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, but he, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy even as I am holy. What God gives us is like a sense, a sixth sense of knowing. Like you, you got the five senses, he'll give you the sixth sense. Now yeah, it, it's the grace of recognition. I call that the grace of where you could recognize things. You could recognize him in the midst of situations and circumstances. Jesus even said concerning his own, he said, my sheep hear my voice and a stranger they're not follow. In other words, they hear, you see, Put it, let's put it where you can understand. When the word is going forth, as it is going forth now, you see, those that belong to the Lord is getting the message. You see, there's something about God speaking to his own people when he is speaking, whereby the message adheres to their lives. They can hear. Their hearts are open. And, 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 and that's a blessing in and of itself. You're, you're, blessing, you're blessed because you hear and you recognize his voice. You, he, they know him. They know the voice of the shepherd. In other words, he brings us a place of familiarity. We're familiar with him. We're familiar with him. That, you see, that's why the Bible says that, that we are to, we're, we're to embrace the form of sound doctrine. Not just sound doctrine itself, but, but the form of sound words. That there's something that is being said, when Paul would speak sometimes, it was not just giving scripture, but he said, I can speak this because I have the mind of Christ, because it aligns itself with the rest of scripture. That's what happens. You can come into an environment and you say, that doesn't fit, because what you're saying is unfamiliar to me. It's unfamiliar to me. When I talk about familiarity, it is not a matter of, of fully understanding what is being said, but that sounds like my Jesus. You're talking like Christ now. Do you see that? You sound like Jesus. Haven't you seen, folks? Uh, you probably heard the story about, uh, for the sake, I got to really shorten this for time. But he says, this guy was at a place where he needed some stuff, and I make it very abbreviated. And, and, and this uh, benevolent man came by and, and, and brought food for the family, and then brought some clothing by the family, and then gave him some 
things to eat and to even offered a place to stay. So the little boy looked at, he said, he said, let me ask you a question. Are you Jesus? Are you Jesus? You see, because you remind me so much. You see what I mean? So, so, so we ought to be of such that people begin to, the way we function, the way we operate within our lives, that, that, that people begin to see Christ. They begin to see Jesus in us. Oh, I wish I had time to really develop this to see how Jesus is. It, it is really, as, as Augustine would say, it is love the Lord and be yourself. It is not projecting an image. It is not trying to project an image that's false, but it's being yourself. See, I love what happened today. You see, as you were worshiping the Lord, as, you, as we were worshiping the Lord, we didn't have to perform. There's no performance in this. There's no performance in this. You see, when, when you're performing, when you're performing, then, then that's, a, I, I'm not talking about enthusiasm separate from, uh, 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 from other things, but, but understand when we, are, when we are genuinely enthusiastic or enthused about a particular thing, then there's expression of joy and, and, and you see happiness and those kind of things. But, but when, you, when you conjure up emotions, you see, what are you trying to do? Who are you fooling? Who are you fooling? That's not coming from the right place, you see. That's not coming from the right place. So, so, so understand, the Lord was in the place where we are authentic. And what comes forth from us, it comes forth from his spirit. The Bible talks about uh, uh, because he, what he did when he says, as he makes his promise, the spirit, uh, even in, in, in Thomas's experience, the Lord will bring to our remembrance the things that he had already said. What Thomas did, Thomas began to reflect upon the times he walked with the Lord, the things that the Lord had said, the Lord had done, and then the Lord showed him his hands and his side, and he says, you are my Lord and you are my God. What the Lord did, he began to reference, this is what Thomas could do, reference the experience instructions that he had received beforehand. And he says, all adds up. It all adds up. It adds up. You see, at the moment, in the moment, he wasn't thinking about all those instructions because it looked like Christ had failed him. But then he began to reference. He said, man, you are my Lord and you are my God. And when he saw that, uh, it, it, his heart was open to receive the new, the, the, the new experience that he was being introduced to. The Bible says in, in Matthew 5, 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You see, they shall see God. Seeing God has to do with the spirit. Seeing God with the eyes of the mind. Blessed are the pure in, in, in heart. They shall see. They shall see. So in other words, as you're hearing the word, think about all the messages you heard in the past. When your heart is pure, God adds to that which he's already established within your heart, within your life. He adds to it. He builds upon the foundation that he had already uh, established within you. So now, what happens, I would begin to say that here's how Jesus puts it. He says, if you continue my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He is really saying that continuation, he said, because your conscience has already been awakened because your conscience has already 
been awakened. We can have a conversation now. But if you sleep, guess what? Whatever I say to you, it's going to go right past you. You're going to miss the whole thing. Now, now it's compared because what he does, he compares spiritual things with spiritual things. He says, what I place within you, I will add to that. I will add to that as you're to add to your faith. And he adds all the things you add to your faith. He said, I will add to that which I've spoken to you. I will add to it. I can build upon the foundation that I have, in fact, established within your heart, within your life. We put it this way. We're preparing the, 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 the ground for the seed that is yet to be planted. He says, I'm going to give you some more word. Him that hath, more shall be given. He that does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. So he prepares the soil so the truth that is yet to be known can be known to you so that you have the capacity to receive from the Lord. The Bible says that the entrance of my word uh, uh, gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. In other words, you become enlightened as saints before the Lord. And he says, and, and then it's, this is what Jesus said in John 14, 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, he didn't say that you don't know me. If our own, you know him and have seen him. Still, he brings us to a place where he says, but I want you to know some things about me that you've not known before. There are some things, and this is back to, back to Thomas, things I want you to know. He said, you don't know the depth of my love yet. You don't know the depth of my compassion as of yet. He says, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your hand and feel the place of my injury. When God gave this to me, it just, it just impacted me so deeply. I want you to feel the place where I was injured. I want you to feel the place where I was inflicted. And I want you to know, if you heard my message, I want you to understand that those inflictions were on your behalf. Look at how the Lord invites him in. I want you to feel that. I want you to feel it now. You say, I told you what I was going to do. But now I want you to feel it. I want you to feel, I want you to feel my pain. Now, when you say, I, I, want you to, I want you to relate to my pain, I want you to put your hand here. He said, and think about yourself. What if your hands had those nails in it? He said, what would you feel? Now, now you know, empathy would do that. When you be, have you seen people where, where they are burned or they have an injury, they're walking, and you, begin to, and you begin to cry, you begin to weep, you say, I, I feel that, I feel that. Because, oh, that must really hurt. You see, so, yep, sometimes you walk out the room when you're at the hospital and, and they're doing a procedure. I, I've had, and you say, well, I, I just can't stand to watch that because that's too overwhelming. Uh, just to see them uh, do that procedure on the person that I love. He says, so what the Lord is saying, I want you to, I want you to see where they hurt me. I want you to see where rejection hurt me. Now, wait a minute. Look, look, look at all of this. You've got to give me a few minutes on this. I want you to see that. I want you to feel my pain, but I'm allowing you to feel the place where they wounded me. I want you to, that was his physical wound. 
But what if he allowed you to feel the depth of the wound within his own heart? What if the Lord said, I want you to feel the wound that's within my heart? You see, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement, our peace was upon him. With his stripes or by his stripes, we were healed. So the wounding of Christ becomes a reality when we, he allows us to feel it. This is what Zechariah, oh, the prophet Zechariah said in the 12th chapter and the 10th verse. He says, he, he says I, I, I believe what Zechariah did. Zechariah stepped into that realm even before Christ died, before Christ was crucified, and he began to feel the pain and agony that Jesus Christ was to go through. Same thing with Isaiah, but, but, but he says, I'm going to let you feel it. So you describe it prophetically to those even before it happens. So with Zechariah, this is what he says here. This is how he puts it, Zechariah 10, 12, 10. He says, he says, I'm not just going to allow the prophet to feel it. I'm going to let you feel it. He says, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, first of all, the spirit of grace. The spirit of grace. Because you've got to have grace to handle this now. Because it's going to be deep. He says, I'm gracing you for what I'm about to reveal to you. He said, my grace is sufficient. My, you see, uh, uh, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. He said, but before you handle the weight of this particular thing, I'm going to pour out into the house of, of, of David, and I'm going to pour out upon the, the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace so that now you're grace to handle. But he says, not only that, and supplication. Now we talk about supplication. Now this longing, this yearning, this will be upon your heart. He said, and, and, and when they have the, the, you see, this grace, the spirit of grace and supplication, he said, and then they will look on me whom they pierced. They will begin to, you see, he allowed Thomas to touch those particular areas. He said, but now... He said, the, the house of David and, 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 the, and, and Jerusalem, they will look upon the one that they pierced. They will begin to say, when you touch it, not only you say, that's a deep wound that, had been, that, that has been uh, given to you. He said, but now I did it. The reason that you suffered the way you suffered is because I inflicted those wounds upon you. you. You follow what happens? He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity. But we don't see ourselves as being a part of that. We don't see. You see, people don't see yet in, I would say, its entirety, the effect of those wounds. He said, but I will give you the spirit of Grace and supplication, because you got to be great. It'll be too overwhelming without the spirit of grace. 
and supplication. He said, now the yearning and the longing will be in your heart. He said, I'll pour it upon you. He said, then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, and they will mourn for him as one would mourn for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. He said, when you see it this time, it's going to break your heart. God will show us the emotional wounds and the emotional pains that he had to bear under. And it will break your heart. You see, don't ever pray the prayer, Lord, show me your heart unless you're willing for your heart to be broken. He says, I'm going to show you my heart. I'm going to show you my heart. I'm going to show you how much I really love you. How much do you love me? He stretched, you probably heard the story. He stretches out his hands as he did upon the cross. I love you this much. I love you this much. Uh, he said, as far as the east is from the west, are your transgressions removed from you. But I had to do this in order for you to receive that. The wounds that are inflicted upon our Lord. We hear it all the time about how wounds are attained. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know, your friends can hurt you. Your friends can hurt you. Have you ever been hurt by a friend? Friends that wound you? Most of the times, it's because they're friends. That's why it hurts so bad. You see, when we come into relationship with the Lord, because he's come into relationship with us, we feel his pain like we never felt it or could never feel it otherwise. Faithful of the wound. So, so you see what it means? It keeps us in check. But then the wounds of, you see, that's the wound of a friend. But then there's a wound of an enemy. What happened? Joseph's brothers put out to wound him. They wanted to hurt him. They sold him into slavery, put him in a pit. And But Joseph, watch what Joseph, the, the ministry of Christ, the attitude of Jesus, you meant it for evil. You meant to hurt me. Listen to this now. You meant your intention was to hurt me. But God's intention was to turn what you meant for pain into gain. He said, there are certain, you see, we go into that and understand when pain is being inflicted upon us willfully, when people set out to do you harm, there are many stories to back that up. But then there's some called friendly fire. When you're caught in the crossfires. I didn't really set out to hurt you. I was just doing my thing. That's how a lot of people are. I didn't really intend to hurt you. I was just being who I am. Friendly fire. Self-defense. I was just defending myself guarding one's own emotions. I've been hurt before. Therefore, I was protecting my own interests, my own emotions, taking protective measures, self-preservation. All of this 
can cause one to become a victim of what would be called friendly fire. Oh, I'm so sorry it hurt you. I'm so sorry it hurt you. That's, a, that, that's what happens when we look at Christ on the cross. I really didn't intend to hurt you. I didn't intend to, but, but understand. But, but man, this thing was just so attractive to me. I just couldn't resist. I, I, I really didn't want to hurt you, Lord. But I just couldn't keep my hands off of this. I couldn't stop doing a particular thing. I didn't really want to hurt you. But the Lord says when we sin, it is offense to God. We are as if, as if we're crucifying him afresh. You see that? It's like, saying, it's like saying, Lord, yes, you died for me, but now you're still throwing rocks at the one that died on your behalf. So now we begin to see the friendly. So, so Jesus is of such that he says, here you on the cross. It could be wounds that are intentional, it could be crossfire. It could be one that see him as an enemy. But Jesus on the cross, look what he said. Forgive them. Forgive them. That them is all inclusive. He said those that intended to hurt him, those that hurt him by default, as well as those that did it as friendly fire. He said, forgive all of them. For they did not know what they were doing. They just didn't know. But his objective is to bring us to the place of knowing. Jesus said, and I'm closing now, he said to Thomas, because now you have seen me. Wait a minute. When did the Lord show himself? He said, because you really didn't know me until you put your hand in the place of my wound. You didn't really know me until you put your hand in the place of my wounds. But now you know me. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Do we really know him? Do we really know him? The objective, as it was with the invitation of, 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 of Christ, don't keep disbelieving, but come to the place of believing. I said the last one, but, but Peter, Peter, Peter wanted to know the Lord. Jesus, he said, cross over the other side. Jesus come walking on the water. They thought he was a ghost. Now, as with Thomas, he said, except I touch those places, I won't believe. But watch what Peter said. If it be you, if this is really you, he didn't say, show me something. He said, bid me to come. Invite me to get out there in that water with you. 
give me the, all you got to do, Lord, is just say it. I'll get out this boat in, a, in no time, and I'll jump out, and, and I'll jump out of this boat, and if it's really you, I believe if you bid me to come, that even the water can't stop me from getting there. Can you imagine? Can you see him climbing on the side of that boat? Jesus said, come. That's all I need. That's all I need. That's all I need. That's all I've been waiting for. If you just say, come. Here he comes, climbing out the boat into the water. Because Jesus invited him to participate in his life. He said, I want you to take part in what I'm doing. I want you to take part in my life. Here he is. He steps out of the boat, standing on the water. Standing in faith on the water. And the only reason he sunk is because he stopped looking to Jesus and started looking around. He said, how is it that I'm standing on this water? How is it that I'm standing on this water? No, it is the grace of God that has been extended to you through the word, come, that you're standing on. But when you think it's you, he starts sinking. You think that'd be the end of it? Jesus reaches out, takes him by the hand, and pulls him out of his dilemma. <laughs> and that's the Lord that we serve. <clears throat> so, Father, we thank you. Because you, not like Thomas, where we would ask you to give us more evidence. We just await the invitation for you to invite us to step out of our current situations, our current positions, that we might stand on your word and trusting you to preserve us and to keep us from falling. Because we realize when we stand on any other thing, whatever platform or position we may take in life, we know that we're going to fail. But the only sure place, the only sure foundation is standing on your word. May we learn the lesson from Thomas. But yet, may we come to the same conclusion that he came to. Where we began to say, my Lord and my God. So we give you praise, Father, for sending your Son. Him being our Lord and God. And through Him, we have access to you, Father. Those that don't know you, Lord, we pray that you'll, through the word spoken, draw them nearer. Draw them out of those lifestyles that are there to destroy their lives and to keep them forever wandering and in a hopeless state of existence. But Lord, may they come to understand that the only thing that's safe, the only one that's safe and secure, is standing on your word and standing with you. Draw by your spirit, Lord, the lost.
May we not take your name in vain, but may true faith be exercised. We give you the praise, we give you the honor, and we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand for a moment? Let's worship God. Let's worship God.